This is Glistening Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Hey, are you enjoying the light of all these glistening particles and want more? I've set up a Patreon page where you can subscribe for as little as $2 a month and get even more unique and new content. You'll find things like the bi-weekly pie series, which is super new, chat forum, live hangout sessions, even co-hosting opportunities, and more. There are so many rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash glistening particles. Literally every subscription helps. Thank you for supporting my passion and allowing these stories to be shared far and wide. Hey everyone, are you kind of wondering what's going on with Jane? These episodes aren't hitting on Mondays the last couple weeks, and hey, it's Friday and this episode's going up. Well, let me tell you, I've been really busy with the 100th episode, working on a best of episode, and kind of changing up some things about the podcast in a really good way that I hope you're excited about. I'll tell you more about it next time. Right now, let's listen to Koji Steven Sakai, who's a screenwriter from LA, and I met in a really random acquaintance kind of way. Here we go, here's Koji. Hey, listeners, today I have with me Koji Steven Sakai, who I met in a really roundabout way, like I meet most people on the show. Hey, Koji. Hi. I'm glad to have you here. So let's tell everyone how we met. So um, there's this new thing on Airbnb, and hopefully Airbnb will kick in a little bit of uh, marketing money on this one. Uh, There's this new thing on Airbnb called experiences. And if you haven't tried them, definitely do them. It was such a cool part of our trip to LA this summer. And uh, my son, Joe, and I, who now decided he wants to be a director, an actor, and a screenwriter, all three. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Great. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to give him some of that experience. And there happened to be your experience, which was how to write a screenplay, essentially, in two hours, you know, the short version. And so we met up with you, right? That's about how we did this. Yes, I gave a quick two-hour class. It was amazing, though, because... I think what happened after the class is now I want to write a screenplay. And I get that it's not like, oh, anyone can just come along and do it. It's like super easy. I get that it's not like that. But the framework that you gave made it like, oh, okay, over years, I could maybe do something like that. And it, it will be sucky. At the, you know, it might be good, whatever. But at least the framework really helped me think about how I would put something together like that. Because I have some stories I want to, I do definitely want to write. And I never well, thought actually, of them. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, that's that's the thing. Anybody could write a screenplay, you know, and and that's what I want to do is is kind of demystify it and make it something that anybody could do because I think anybody can. If you could tell a story, you could tell a screen. You could write a screenplay. And it, I loved it. In fact, it's changed the way that I watch movies now. <clears throat> so as I'm watching movies now, and I I never know movies or films. What's the right term? I grew up with calling them movies, and some people get really offended by that in the <laughs> industry. 
No offense. <laughs> they're both the same. I, I think they're the same. If it's a film, if you if you if it's your art and it's a movie, if it's something else. Okay. <laughs> I call it whatever. It could be whatever. <laughs> but we know what we're talking about. So yes, definitely. but it did change the way that I watch them now because now I'm looking for those, you know, the three key parts. I'm looking for the number of different um what do we call them? The different scenes, essentially. There's is it sixteen? Is that the number that's sticking in my head? Fourteen beats, yeah. Fourteen beats. See, I need to review my notes. But it does make me look at it differently. And as I'm, you know, sitting on the plane or driving down the road and letting my mind wander to the story that I have, it lets me go, oh, what things would be really important to show in those beats? So it, it's it's been it was really valuable, I thought. I think my son walked away and went, yeah, that's not for me, (laughs) which was funny because this was all about him. He was writing one on the plane out there, Uh, but now he's all excited about going into acting. So now I have to figure that one out next, but yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing about uh, writing scripts, I think, is that, you know, once, once you understand how it's done, Mm -hmm. it kind of demystifies. And for myself, when I, when I watch a movie and I'm not thinking about all these technical terms i know i love the movie because that's that's what brings me back to that original love of why i started to to even want to be in the film business yeah i was going to ask you about that so thanks for laying that out we didn't plan any of that you know that wasn't a setup so what brought you to this industry how did you get started uh well in the beginning I watched a ton of TV in my life. I mean, t- I always joked that TV was my third parent. <laughs> uh, and when my mom and dad would send me to my room, I had a TV in my room. So I just sit there and watch TV and I watched a ton of TV. I watched a ton of movies and, and I mean, some of, I, I still recount like my favorite, you know, some of my favorite, uh, um, TV shows and, mm-hmm. and their theme songs and I can still sing them. I can't even remember, you know, our, our national anthem, but I can sing <laughs> Golden Girls or Gilligan's <laughs> Island. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that laid the groundwork of just being able to really want to be in the film industry. But um, but what really got me started was I was in film school or, or I was at a writing school, excuse me, at, at USC. Mm-hmm. And um, my my books and things I was writing just wasn't working. Nobody was interested. Nobody was buying it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to quit. And my ex-girlfriend was like, you can't quit school. Uh-huh. And so I'm I'm kind of a lark. I took a screenwriting class with a really famous uh, screenwriting teacher named Sid Fields. Mm-hmm. And I took that class and I was like, oh, yeah, this is for me. And I, um, within the first couple of weeks, I wrote a script and I sold it. And I said, wow, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Because after only two or three weeks, I was able to, to sell something. When, oh, my gosh. Before, That's before exciting. That, no, yeah, nobody wanted to even read my work before. And that was really exciting. And that made me think that I could do this for a living. Did it just go like that every time afterwards then? <laughs> no. <laughs> unfortunately, it took many, many years after that for anything to, to happen after that. But that initial like sub-success was was really great. It made me feel really good and really pushed me to this career. Was the first screenplay produced? No. It was uh, – it's, it's funny because I just – one of my friends is a director. He actually just rewrote that script. So oh. even, after, like, even after 20 years, we're still like trying to get that made. Oh, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, and that you hear that a lot, where people have these scripts that they're they they matter to them, so they keep them around, and they know that eventually their time will come. Yeah, and this is why I told you in our class never to work on something you love first, because right. it, it makes it really really hard to come back to it and rewrite it because inherently there's a lot of problems because you don't know how to do it yet, right. and that was my problem. I did my first script was something I really wanted to do, and so I spent the last twenty five years trying to make it better. 
That's amazing. And and that's the thing that always surprises me about writing is, again, we only see the finished product. So we think, oh, it's so quick and easy. And let me just sit down and jam out some writing. And it can take years. It can take li- a lifetime for some people to get their yeah. boards down. Yeah. And a, and a lot is where you are in your life that really kind of dictates how you see the story. Because mm-hmm. when I first approached that story, it, I was in a very different place. I wasn't married. I had no kids. I didn't have a house. You know, I, I hadn't been in the industry, so my experiences were very different. So now, when I look back at it, I could I could write it in a different way than I did back then. Would that do you think though that that would make it better or different or just different? Just different. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't I don't know if it's better or worse, but it's just different, and I see the world differently than I did before. Mm-hmm. Do you have to think about that a lot when you're writing? when you're writing screenplays about the audience that you're going to write for? That's a good question. Um, no, because I assume most of my stuff that I'm writing will never be read or seen by anybody <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so I don't really think about the audience until much later. Then usually I'm like, oh my God, why did I write that? <laughs> oh, okay. That's interesting. Because I mean, you think about that, like your perspective on what you wrote 25 years ago today you would view it so differently. Okay, I've got a perfect example of this. So I was uh, at the theater watching a movie. This is 40. Have you seen that? Yes. Okay, cool. So with Paul Rudd and Leslie Mann, and I'm a super Leslie Mann fan. So I'm just like everything that she does, I'm in the theater seeing it because I just adore her. And I'm sitting with you know someone in my age bracket, which is over 40. And behind me is this younger couple who are, you know, in their maybe mid-20s. Now, this is where I'm talking about, like, do you think of your audience? Because everything Leslie Mann says, I'm going, oh, my gosh, it's like she's in my head, you know, and she's saying everything the way I would say it, and I just love it. And this girl behind me said, oh, I just can't stand her voice. Will she just stop talking? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I looked, I gave her the dirtiest look. I'm like, you have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> this is what it's like when you get to that point, you know? <laughs> and I remember being like almost angry at that movie because it was so real to me at the time. And, uh, and not angry at the movie, but just like equally frustrated with Paul Rudd every turn of the movie. <laughs> and uh, it, and this, this girl is like slamming Leslie Mann. I'm like, you just need to leave. You know? So that's where that whole premise of that movie really resonates with people who have either are approaching that or in it or past it. But it was hard to even comprehend for someone that young. So that's why I was yeah. wondering if you do think about that as you're going into it or you write the movie from whatever perspective and the, or the screenplay and then knowing that people will come to it who feel it will resonate with them. Well, you know, I have a good story on, around this as well. I've written maybe five or six versions of Romeo and Juliet in my career. Okay. And every time I approach Romeo and Juliet, it's been from kind of a different perspective. I mean, when yeah. I was – when I first read Romeo and Juliet in – seventh or eighth grade it was the ultimate love story it's like the love story i wanted minus the double suicide right <laughs> didn't we all didn't we all? Yeah. <laughs> and then you get older and you're like i don't know this seems kind of bad mm-hmm. and then recently i i was rewriting romeo and juliet um i'm working on a script another script version of it and i i found myself relating to the parents <laughs> oh wow that's being interesting a dad, you know being a dad now it's like uh this is a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> Like Juliet's not a good person. You don't want to meet her. She doesn't even know you don't even know her. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it and it's been really, really interesting. So so when I write, I really look at it from just where I am. This is kind of why in our class I told you to kind of write it quickly because 
you know, you could change, your whole life could change and your perspective changes and all mm. of a sudden the story is different. Right. So when I, when I really write, I try to really write it in a, in a quick brief period because I'm worried that, you know, things will change and all these, and my whole life, my whole life perspective will change and thereby the script or my writing will change with it. That's an interesting perspective because again, I think so many things go along, but maybe some, that's how it's been with some of the biggest, um, most famous movies. Maybe they were written quickly. People put them together in the time and, and had the, the story so crystal clear. Yeah. I, I think everyone writes differently. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's just my perspective on things, but I think, I, I think it is, there's just the, the better the script, the better the writing is usually based on the better the feeling toward the material in terms mm-hmm. of how it relates to their life or, or something that they're thinking about. Mm. Cause, cause each of the Romeo and Juliet's have, have been really different. So for example, um, one of my first Romeo and Juliet's was a big sale to Amazon. It was about the Romeo and Juliet and Rosalind. It was a kind of a prequel to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I don't know how much, how familiar you are with the story, but basically Romeo was in love with another girl before Juliet. Her name was Rosalind. Oh. And the only reason he even meets Juliet is because he went to the, the paw, the ball to, meet uh, Rosalind, but he really, that's when he sees Juliet. Oh. And, and that wasn't a time when I was super bitter because I was with this girl and I really liked her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it's, and it didn't work out and I was kind of, uh, you know, anti-love at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and then as I got older, you know, recently I wrote a script called, or a book called Romeo and Juliet versus Zombies. <laughs> and it's, it's so much about, you know, having a really strong Juliet. She's a fighter mm-hmm. and Romeo's a lover. And that's, you know, that's very much about my wife and I. My wife is really strong and I just want to kind of be a lover. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, um, and then and also. Write stories, and, and write stories. And write stories. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is uh, recently I wrote a story called um, Senioritis, which is in development. And it's Romeo and Juliet with uh, seniors in a senior home. And th- that's a lot about my mom has Alzheimer's. And visiting her in the in the hospital and seeing her and kind of and seeing this whole world there was really really interesting to me. Mm, I bet it's so different. It's life is like that though, right? There's so many things that we eventually learn, and we think, "How did I never know anything about this?" But we don't we don't know those things until we're in them. I mean, like if someone becomes ill or has cancer, you don't know anything about it until you're going through it. Or if someone travels to another country. Right, you just don't have enough perspective and experience to know about it really, truly until you're there. You know, yeah, like, and that's why they say yeah, youth yeah. is youth is wasted on youth. I, think I know. That's the quote. <laughs> yes, I know. Give it back. I want it back. <laughs> I do so much better with it right now. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be so cool in high school. <laughs> I know. Me too. I know. And I would totally crush that college calculus class too. Not like now. Not like then. Huh. That's a bad memory. Um. So. You know, it's, you bring up you brought up your wife a couple of times and how she's strong and uh, all that. How is it balancing? You know, the uncertainty of script writing and a career and a family. Um, it's really hard. That's why I always tell creative people never to marry another creative person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I don't know how that would work out. Um, my wife, my wife and her job allow me to be able to explore my career mm-hmm. and my, and, um, and have a career. So I'm really obviously thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also allows me to be a dad so mm-hmm. I could be home and drive my son around and pick him up from school and take him to jujitsu or wherever he goes. And, mm-hmm. and, um, having somebody in my life who I could depend on and who, who could really like support the family in that way is, is something that, you know, every day I'm really thankful for. And, uh, cause I know it'd be much harder without without her without her 
without her support of, right. my, of me and my career and the family as well. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, I didn't mean to go down this road, but I told you when we started that I kind of follow the breadcrumbs because they're usually the most curious uh, conversations. But it's something I've been thinking about myself uh, in this stage of my life is, you know, I grew up with the very idea of the very traditional family where, you know, the husband goes to work and the wife stays home. That's not the life I had that I chose. I've worked, I've worked since I went to college and all that. But I think about how there's part within me that really would love that, right? Like I'd love to have a spouse who can support me so I can go play podcasting full-time, you know, or go be a full-time podcaster and turn it into what I want, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not really playing, but I would like to this to be my career. But then I think of the reverse, like what if I just really doubled down on my career and I had a partner who could take care of these things around the house and take care of the kids and take care of the, you know, the things that traditionally and still have their love, their passion that they follow, but not that it's dependent and that we're dependent on it. It's really opened up my eyes, and I've met so many couples like that in the last couple of months that are doing just that. So um, do you feel like that is a successful model? I mean, it sounds like it has been for you. Are there any pitfalls to it that I'm missing? <laughs> um, I, I think there are a lot of pitfalls. I mean, you know, for example, when we were uh, – when I was uh, – or my son was a baby, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I'd go out to take him out and like shopping or something – I, there would be a lot of comments people would make. Um, hmm. For example, one of the comments would be, you know, oh, that's so great that your wife your wife is having a mommy day. <laughs> and, and, and that's insulting because, right. A, why can't I take care of my kid? And B, why does my wife – why can't my wife be the breadwinner, you right. know? That's or exactly even, um, it. I mean that is the crux of it. It's like our society has this model, at least American society has this model and it – it's like we have to re- rethink. We have to change yeah. our words. So hopefully I didn't offend you in that question. No, no, no. You because totally I'm different. just exploring it. I'm like, <laughs> I want that. Like, could I Could I be that? Could I be your wife? Could I be the strong one? Not your wife, but you know what I mean. Could I be like your wife? And um, be the strong one that does do that part of the partnership. And, well, and, and that's I mean, the thing. Yeah. The world is changing. I mean, when I was doing it, you know, not that long ago, it's only like six years ago, but when I was, when I was kind of in the middle of it, I mean, a lot of men's bathrooms didn't have changing tables. Oh, right. Um, and now I see more and more men having changing tables. But back then, I would have to ask moms to, you know, go in the women's bathroom with me so I could change my child. Wow. Uh, and that was really, you know, that was kind of crazy. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, there are a lot of issues around masculinity. Right. I think that uh, people have to feel like, um, and even for someone like myself who's not, you know, not crazily masculine, but there is something about wanting to take care of the, you know, the cave and go right. hunting right. and all that stuff that that sometimes is is really is really challenging, you know, mm-hmm. and and it takes a lot of uh, it takes a lot of self reflection to really understand, you know, to to be okay with that and to you know and and to be able to. To be around because I mean honestly, when I drive my son around, I'm the only dad around, oh, right? Wow. When I go to places, I'm usually the only dad or if, or one of two dads mm-hmm. who who's able to be around and, and to be able to do it. But um, but that, and that's it. Just it takes a lot, you know, to be able to have that kind of uh, self reflection and be okay with it. And probably a lot of communication as a couple, I would think, to keep like reestablishing that you know this doesn't change certain things, even though it's a different model. All of these things that are great about each other are still, you know, like great. 
Yeah, and, and I think I think also it goes to who we are as mm-hmm. as people kind of inherently. I mean, um, I had a really great relationship with my dad. You know, I took care of him when he was sick, mm-hmm. and my my wife has always been really really strong. And so I think it plays to who we are. I, okay. I, if 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 we were kind of different people, I'm not sure it would work as well. Right. But you know, I think that's kind of why we're married and why we've been married for God, eleven years, I think. <laughs> or 20. You act like it's a long time. Have you seen this as 40? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's good, though. I love that, that you're doing that. You know, it wasn't something that came out in the conversation in the two-hour class. We didn't get to get personal on things like that. And I think it's a great model because I want our, I want our future children, you know, the boys and girls, to grow up to know that there are lots of choices and lots of examples of ways we can choose to live. Yeah, especially, I mean, for the sons and for the boys, I, I think it's really important to be a father. And I think it's, re- I mean, my relation with my dad was really great. I think my relation with my son's really great. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's really, really important growing up. And, and I think it's too much, uh, too many times fathers are just, you know, they feel like they have to be the breadwinner, which means they never have to be home, which means they never have to be at Little League. Right. <laughs> right. Or yeah. even if they aren't, you know, even if they are home, they're kind of marginalized. Like this isn't your territory. So you know, go lay on the couch. You know what I mean? It's, that's what I see. What I've seen in my era is that's the expectation. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, and financially, if, if you just, if you just took it, you know, um, on a surface level, I mean, my, my wife has much greater earning power than I do mm-hmm. on a regular consistent basis. Mm-hmm. So even if you wanted traditional, it just doesn't make sense. It would actually right. hurt our family. <laughs> right. So, or, or you'd have to give up your passion, which is, yeah. you know, not necessarily a good choice for anyone either. Yeah. But even, even if I didn't give up my passion, I mean, she, my wife, my wife is much smarter than me, a much, better <laughs> exe- much better executive than me. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't even make sense. And, and I think you see that a lot with families. I mean, I have a lot of friends who's who the father is a stay-at-home dad and uh-huh. you look at their lives and they're just, you know, just on a surface level, just much more competent. <laughs> and so you want, you kind of want them to be the ones. And, and this, this time of like the men have to go and work and the women have mm-hmm. to stay home. It's, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Okay. So back to um, movie making and things like that. Um, have you, you've written a number of screenplays. Have you had another, have you had any of them that are out in the world and produced that you would share with us? Yeah. Okay. I've, I believe I made five movies. Okay. Um, sorry. I've had five of my movies produced. I've produced three of them. Okay. Okay. And, um, right now, I mean, probably my most popular one is called the people I slept with. It's on Amazon right now. Okay, cool. Amazon prime right now. So you could see it. Um, but I, and I have other ones on prime. I think I have one called dying to kill. Okay. Um, Monster and Me. And uh, I have a TV series that's coming out actually in August called Comedy Invasion. And so it's, so you can see a lot of my stuff online. Okay. okay. That's so cool. We'll have to get links to all of that at the end of the show so that people can um, find them. Definitely will. It's so amazing to talk to. I mean, okay, as a Midwesterner, we're very far removed from all movie making. You know, there's not, there's some that happens here, but not a lot. And so, uh, it's always this like, wow, they actually have a movie that's out there. I mean, just to go watch it is like so exciting. So you're probably used to that where you are. They do people do that all day long, but out here it's it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, everyone's in the industry here, so it's nothing new. Yes. I kind of learned that the hard way when I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard and um my I didn't have on my wise hat apparently during that. Because I did buy the CD from the guy selling the CD. I gave him some money for that. 
And then um, when a couple uh, folks that were dressed up as superheroes asked my son to ask if I wanted a picture of them with my son, I'm like, oh, sure, I guess. And I'm about to take the picture. And they, one of the ginormous ones said, um, you know that you have to pay me for that. I'm like, no, I didn't know that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's in the industry. <laughs> what I tell people about the industry, it's a, it's a lottery job, you know, mm-hmm. where where you can work every single day and try to make a career, whether it's acting, writing, or whatever, and nothing could happen. I mean, it's it's you know, it's who you know, it's it's luckiness, it's how how hard you work. Whereas whereas the example I always give is if you're a lawyer and you're a bad lawyer, you could eventually make partner if you work if you just outlive everyone. Right. <laughs> but I could write, you know, anybody could write every single day, and nothing will ever happen, and nothing will ever get made, and. Right. You know, that's, that's, it's, it's both exciting because every day I wake up, it could be the best day of my life or, or I could just get a bunch of no's like normal. And that's what makes the career interesting, but it also makes it really scary. This is why I tell people not to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I know you were not, you definitely were not like, yeah, yeah, go do this. It's awesome. You were, you know, giving us the cold, hard truth for sure. Well, and and I think it's important. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think that there's, there's too many people who come out here and, and, just think it's going to happen really quickly. And it does. That's the thing. It actually does sometimes. But for the most of the time, it's it's almost like there's like a middle class of people in the industry who are just kind of doing things, making things, mm-hmm. being, and, and making a career out of it. But not, they aren't Brad Pitt or they aren't, you know, the biggest director, but they're making a career out of it. And that's, that's the reality. That's mm-hmm. the most likely outcome. It's all about perspective. Um, mm-hmm. One of my really close friends at school, he actually sold a million dollar spec script. And a spec script is a script when it's not really tied to anything. It's an original idea. And uh, and we were all jealous of him because he sold a million dollar spec script. And it was this amazing thing. But the movie never got made because in order for it to be a million dollar spec script, that means it's like a hundred million dollar movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking, we were having lunch the other day. And you know, he looks at my career and he says, oh, you have all these movies made and and he could go to IMDb and look up my name or he could uh-huh. go to websites and see me or he go to Amazon Prime or wherever. You know, he could see all these things. My mom saw my movie. My mom got a DVD of mine or uh-huh. all these things. And when he looks at my career, he says, oh, my God, you made movies. It's so great. You have a career. But when I look at his career, I say, wow, you made a million dollars on one script. That's amazing. <laughs> so he did get the million dollars even though it's not made? Yeah, but he never it never got made. Okay. I'm and willing to never, take that chance. I'll take the yeah. million bucks. But he's never made anything since. <laughs> right, right. Um, he's I never get sold it. anything since. And so it's, it's really weird because from both our perspectives, we right. look at each other and we're like, that's so awesome. I'd love to make a million dollar spec script. You know, that'd be awesome. Right. But, then, but also it's awesome going to a movie theater and seeing my movie or, or going to a film festival and having people yeah. ask me questions, you know, or, or even being on this podcast. I mean, if I sold the million dollar spec, I wouldn't be on this podcast. Right. Uh, so it's kind of this, it, it's, it's really interesting. So it really gives you perspective on, mm-hmm. on my career, you know, and I, what I always have to tell myself when I get down on my career is if I looked at myself 20 years ago when I was in school and said, you know, you would have made all these movies, you would have a book, you'd have all these things. I would have been like, that's awesome. My life would be perfect. Right. But in my life now, you know, I'm always like, well, I haven't sold, I haven't, I don't have like X-Men 9 movie under my belt. I don't, right. you know, like, right. I don't, I don't have a show on ABC yet. Um, and so, you know, you get down on yourself because that's, that's like the dream. But in reality, my dream would have been what I'm, where I am now. Interesting. So so it's all about perspective, you know, and, and also like the thing about the, the guy who sold the million dollar spec script, it's the challenge with him is that once you're at that world, it's like, it's like going from high school to the major league baseball. 
straight right. to Major League Baseball, then you know it's hard to go back to the minors at that point. Yes, I so totally for him, get that. Because when he sold the million dollars pack, my first instinct was, okay, take a hundred thousand, make a movie. Right, right. But but when you're at that level, you don't make hundred thousand dollar movies anymore. Hmm. Whereas, you've, you've seen people do that, though. You've seen people go backwards. You know. But but that's when they're already really successful. Yes, that's true. That's true. Whereas, like, I come from a world of let's make a ten thousand dollar movie, let's make a hundred thousand dollar, let's make a million dollar movie. You know, right. let's let's do those things because we're not everyone's saying no to us, so we're just going to do it. Uh-huh. And so it's so again, it's just where we because I never had the hundred million dollar deal, or you know, hundred thousand or one million dollar spec script. Uh-huh. So, so I I never had that. So I'm like, I'm just gonna do everything. I'm gonna hustle. I'm gonna do mm-hmm. whatever I can. And if somebody says no to me, I'm gonna ask twenty more people mm-hmm. because I never had that. So it's again, it's all perspective, and it's all where we where we started from. You must have to, you have to have such a thick skin to be in that industry and be so good at taking no for an answer. <laughs> it's it's really really hard. You never get used to. It. I mean, this is why I always joked with my wife when we were dating that, you know, I never asked women I thought that were out of my range because if they said no to me, that's another no. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want everything to be no. So you know, it, it it's really hard, and I get down on myself. And and you know, this is one of the reasons why. Even I think in our in our experience, we were talking about you know when when you asking for feedback, mm-hmm. that you tell them the kind of feedback that you want. And sometimes I ask my wife or I ask my friends just to tell me my writing is good. Yeah. And I, you know, just to tell me I'm good because it's hard to get a million no's. You know, right. you lose you lose hope. You lose you know you lose that inspiration that that started you in in your career. Do you collaborate often on scripts? Yeah, I'm actually an odd writer. I, I work with a lot of people. Um, and the reason being films itself or TV is very, very collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the best examples of that is if if take away the music from a movie mm-hmm. and just watch a movie without music and you'll see how bad the movie is. Ah. Add add music in and all of a sudden the music, the movie is really good. Yeah. Um, and that goes from the the makeup artist to the lighting person to the sound person. I mean – we're we're collaborating. Uh-huh. You know, the best the best script could be turned bad by just one bad apple in right. a production. Right. So I feel really strongly that, you know, that we need to that I need to work with people. I need to kind of get their ideas and and working with other writers allows me to get another feed get another pair of eyes on the script, allows mm-hmm. me to get another get you know, whole new life experiences, whole new thoughts on things. Um and even why, you know, for example, I'm not a director. And mm-hmm. the reason being is I, I could think I could direct. I'm just no, I'm not good at it, and mm. so why should I? Why should I force myself to direct when I know there's a ton of amazing directors out there who who could take who take my work and make it way better than I could ever do it? So there is a little bit of having to understand your kind of limits mm-hmm. and be there. So I'm going to ask a multi-part question. Are you ready for it? I am. Okay, and it's based on a, on what you just said. All right, so we're going to break down uh, different favorites. So who? What is your favorite? score for a tv show or movie so the music do you have a favorite or a couple this is gonna sound horrible i love titanic (laughs) it's so it's so romeo and juliet (laughs) it's good though it's a very it's a great great score um what's your favorite um screenplay do you have one yeah uh eternal sunshine is my uh by um oh my gosh oh god I can't remember that. <laughs> this is so horrible because he's such an amazing uh, screenwriter. But yeah, Eternal Sunshine is my favorite movie of all is time. Is that the movie where they 
alter your brain to forget the sad things? Yeah, with uh, Jim Carrey. Oh my gosh, that movie changed my life. Like I, it just kept like coming in front of me, which is so funny that you say it, it keeps coming back. And like I'm beginning to wonder if part of my brain is erased or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, it keeps coming back in front of my line of sight. You know what I mean? Like you, I never had heard of it. And then someone said I had to watch it. And then it just keeps showing up for like the last year. But it is, it's, it skewed my brain. It really made me think about not necessarily that someone's, you know, actually erasing my brain in this lifetime, but really more like spreading it wider and thinking about how I kind of believe we come back from multiple lives so that I have to give that underlying premise, but that there are things that were erased before I come back into this life and I'm starting to remember some of them. You know what I mean? I know I'm getting way off track here, but that's <laughs> anyway, people who uh, have not seen Eternal Sunshine, watch it and it's going to blow your mind. So what did you like about it from the perspective of the screenplay? What was so compelling? Well, the first hint was when I first watched it in the theater, I was not worrying about any of the kind of the the big moments in a script. I wasn't uh -huh. worrying about it technically, and I just watched it. Mm -hmm. And that's the first sign that it's it's really good or it's good. Uh -huh. and, and then when I watched it again, kind of with the thinking about how to write scripts, I realized technically it was an amazing movie. They did mm -hmm. such an amazing job on it. But on a personal level, I, I think, you know, or, or sorry, on a technical level, you know, as a screenwriter, one of the most amazing things about the, the movie is that it's one long flashback. But, right. but the fact that you're able to make a flashback feel like the story is moving forward still uh -huh. is amazing. Uh -huh. You know, most people can't do that. Most, the reason why you don't write flashbacks in general is because it doesn't move the story forward. It moves the story backwards. Mm -hmm. And so it's usually not something you want to put in a script. But his whole movie is basically a flashback, which is amazing. Uh -huh. um, but on a personal level, you know, I, I think we always struggle with this idea of like we want to forget our past. We want to forget past relationships, especially ones right. that, you know, that where our hearts got broken. But what the really the, – the kind of the thing that really stuck out to me is that even – even when those those relationships or those those situations were hard, those are the things that made us who we are today. And right. when you lose it, when you lose that, you lose the part of who you are. And, and you're I confused, think, and you're confused because you don't have it, it. Exactly, like you know, I couldn't I couldn't be in the relationship with my wife without the relationships before that. I, mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been the same. You know, I would have come from a different place. I would be I would be a different person. And I think at that time when I was watching that movie, it was kind of in this transition period between. This uh, long, long, uh, long-term relationship, and kind of moving into like kind of a, a the new single me, and I think mm -hmm. it really it really stuck out to me because I was going through a hard time at the, at that moment. Right, perspective again. We talked a lot about perspective today. Yes, you know, and I'm I'm going to go watch that again in the next week or so just to remember. But it is it kind of is is the opposite. Okay, I'm going to throw down a screenplay idea for you. You ready for it? I'm so ready. Here's what I would love is the idea of not having to bring all my baggage along. Of being like, I would love to um, have a first love all over again, like without all of the damage. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, that fresh first, but at, at, at my age now, you know, at, at with the wisdom about life that I have and the compassion or the, you know, just knowledge. Yeah, but I would venture that that relationship would be horrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess I like don't want to bring along the bitterness or the yeah. sadness. You know, I just want to go in fresh. You know? But to be fair, there's a reason why our high school relationships suck. Yeah. 
right? Because it's like that. Like, because in that relationship, we're pretty much baggage free, most of us. And yet, those relationships are some of the most traumatic, (laughs) 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 and some of the most, you know, just kind of wrought with with angst. I mean, a lot of it's our hormones and whatever else. And we lack compassion in a big. I mean, not all high schoolers, but I think some, probably me, lacked compassion (laughs) at that age, and also. Um, I was selfish and foolish. Now I'm, you know, I think I could bring a different story to that. But so, I think it's because you've gone through all of it, though. Yeah, That's I guess what so. Argue. Yeah, because you've yeah, I guess so. Like, I mean, if you're like kind of a jerk, it's you you get humbled at some point. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're the one getting stepped on, at some point you're the one that's getting stepped stepping on somebody else. And so right. I think it's only like that through that perspective do we get. It's a really interesting idea, though. I I really like that idea because it would be interesting. It'll almost be like. Um, that that Jennifer uh, Gardner one where she's like eighteen to going to thirty. Oh, thirteen going on thirty. Yes. 30. Yes. But, like, but doing the opposite where it's like, but now like instead of you know instead of thirty, it's like forty. Right. <laughs> so and I, I love that movie actually. <laughs> I love that that whole premise of uh, seeing the you know of going through like living in a different time than you are. I love that yeah. idea. There's a lot of movies like that actually. So, um, so I think my, a lot of people must love that. All right, so then we asked. I talked about screenplay and score. What about just movie, movie overall favorite? Hmm. I mean, this is going to sound horrible, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think so much about movies is about nostalgic and yeah. and you know where you were, what you did. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is actually Red Dawn from the nineteen eighties. Wow. <laughs> That was a it's really the, powerful movie then, though. We didn't have a lot of movies like that at that time. No. And that was like, I mean, I still watch it today. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I love that movie. I mean, we're in the middle of the Cold War at the time. And right. just kind of this, this idea of kind of the all-American high school fighting back the communists. Um, just, I don't know. It really resonates. After 9-11, mm-hmm. I watched that movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. I have... On 9-11, actually, I watched that oh, movie. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's amazing. Did you have you seen the remake of it? Yeah, that was really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was really horrible. It made me really sad. Yeah. Uh, and my wife and everybody around me really hates that movie, and they don't know why I watch it so much. Because ah. um, it's not technically very written, written very well. It's not a really good movie, but it just I don't know what it is. I love that movie, and I, I could watch it. That and Titanic, by the way, I could watch Titanic a million times, and I even created drinking games out of Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> to make to help everybody else get through it again with you. Yeah. So the, the <laughs> game is when when Jack says Rose, uh-huh. the the women drink, and when Rose says Jack, the the men drink. And uh-huh. so there's like scenes where they say it like thirty times to get like in the same <laughs> scene. Like they're like Jack Rose, Jack Rose. And you're like, ah. <laughs> That's too funny. I'll have to keep that in mind for future yeah. future parties. For future yeah. Right. Well, I'll tell you my like um, my embarrassing movie that I love that I watch a lot, a lot of times. That's not a great movie. Well, it's I don't know. I don't mean to say that, but it's um, Empire Records. Have you heard oh, of that? Yes. Yes. OK. So for people who haven't seen it, it's just about these, you know, young people working at a record store and, you know, being beaten down by the man kind of thing. And I love the scene where, um, oh, what is his name? I can't think of it right now. He de- plays the drums really loud in the back in his office because he's really pissed off. And I love that part and just the music. And it's 
it's actually got actors who, you know, it was kind of their start, like Renee Zellweger. It's probably one of her first films. Yeah. Um, and a few other people that like rose quick and then disappeared on the on the movie front. But um, what I love about it is that it takes place in a day. I love movies that take place in 24 hours because you get a lot more detail. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Actually, actually you reminded me of two movies. Can I mention real quick? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> Groundhog's Day and Sliding Doors are two are, are oh, two of the other yeah. favorite doors yes. of, of my favorite movies. movies. But yes, but Groundhog's Day takes place in twenty four hours, right? Right. I think I've watched that at least a, at least two dozen times. Oh, I've watched it a million times, and, <laughs> and nobody understands why I like it so much. But I love that movie. Yeah, that movie's so great. <laughs> and it's ironic to watch it again because it's repeated throughout the movie anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of exactly. like when you see a mirror in a mirror. Right? Yes. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but yes, that's totally true. <laughs> I didn't either. So this is some pretty good stuff we're doing here today. Um, yeah, that um, Empire Records is my, like, when I just want to f- crawl inside my head and not be bothered by anyone, I put that on and clean the house. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So then um, do you have any favorite actors, like, do you that you think of when you want to write a screenplay that you think, I want an, a movie, I want to write something that this person will do? Well, that's funny, actually. Um, I don't – when I write, I don't actually imagine – I don't imagine pictures. Mm. That, sound, that sounds crazy. Um, when I imagine the world, I imagine it through words. Mm. So, like, when I meet somebody, I don't, I don't think – I can't – a lot of times I don't recognize them again, mm-hmm. but if you, if I give a word to that person, like pretty or <laughs> that's probably not a good one, but like, you know, right, like right. blue dress or, or, um, you know, if I give them like kind of a, some kind of thing, that's mm-hmm. how I remember them. Um, huh. and that's how I see the world. So when I'm writing, what I put on paper is what I'm quote seeing. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I can't be a director because I don't okay. see the world. I don't see the world through pictures. So I don't actually ever, when I, when I'm writing, I don't actually see actors. I mean, I see an African American or a mm. Latino or a Caucasian, but or handsome. I mean, I, you know, I, I give right. general words to them, but I would never say this is Brad Pitt's role. Right. This is this role. So when people ask me, you know, can you see this person? I'm like, sure. Is he black? Right. <laughs> he works. Right. Um, is he handsome? Then he works. Right. You know. Um, so think- so it's kind of interesting. It's frustrating for people sometimes though because they want me to tell them give them more than that though. That is so fascinating to me because I think a while, a long time ago, I had read some science about um, the way that the order with which our brain processes is different in different people. So like a friend of mine and my oldest son, they see the visuals. They, they, the, everything that like uh, when they hear words, they see pictures in their head. You know, that's the way their brain works. That's the first, the, the dominant um, part of their brain. For me, I'm like you with words. Like if people can describe something to me, I can feel it. Yeah. But I don't see it. Yeah. Like when I watch a movie, I, I read the subtitle. I, I prefer it with subtitles on. Ah, interesting. Because I like, I'd rather, I'd rather read the movie than watch the movie. Huh. Or, and it, it's, it's frustrating for, you know, when I can't recognize people because I didn't assign a word to them or mm-hmm. <laughs> because visually I don't really. I'm not really that interested in kind of the visualness of, of the world. I mean, I like I liked seeing things. Like I love beautiful scenery and things like that. But what really is first in me all the time is the words. That is the yeah. number one thing. Well, so and this is why and this is why 
I'm a screenwriter and not a novelist Mm -hmm. is because a screenwriter, his or her job is to, is to take, you know, is to write the blueprints like we talked about, right. Mm -hmm. Is to really kind of build, but I don't, I'm not really coloring it. Right. Whereas, uh, Whereas a novelist, they they're creating the world. They're they're creating pictures for the for the readers, mm-hmm. and so I think that's one of the reasons why I struggled as a prose writer is because I just don't see the world like that. Mm-hmm. And then kind of when I was told that I didn't have to do that as a screenwriter, mm-hmm. it allowed me to say, oh yeah yeah, this is this is this is how my brain works mm-hmm. in, screen, in screenwriting and creating the the world. And then somebody else comes in and puts puts their color in it, puts the you know, puts the emphasis on how to like, how to make it come alive. And that's, right. as, that was like that. Well, that's why that moment of taking a screenwriting class, I think was so, was such an important moment in my life was because that was really the writing I was intended to do and oh, not really, nice. novel. even though I love novels and even though obviously like that's what I wanted to do, that, that just wasn't the kind of writer I am. Yeah. That was actually going to be my next question. So when you read though, like a really well written novel that has all of the coloring in, in the words, do you feel that? Can you like? Can you absorb that into you, or is that? Are you just looking for the dialogue? No, I, I remember the words. Okay. I remember the you know the words are meaning. I mean, it's meaningful. I, I sound like a robot. That is, it doesn't mean anything to me. Right. <laughs> yes, just but, words. <laughs> but I, I think, like, but like I could feel the emotion. I could feel everything. But it's it's right. I don't I don't pick like if you ask me like if I read like a paragraph and then you ask me what I saw. I didn't see anything. I see it. Right. Through, I see it through words. I see the right. like. I, I understand it through words. It's it's hard to explain, I guess, but it's it's really it's like really really weird. That's why you know, like a lot of people get hung up on you know when they read a book and then they see a movie and they and they look different than they imagined. Right. I I never imagined that person. Ah. <laughs> so ah. it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me. So when I then I see Harry Potter, I'm like, oh, that's Harry now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I feel the same about Harry Potter since you brought that one up. And I think I'm going to try to articulate what what I think you're trying to say and or like say it back. So when I read a description of something in a novel, um, I feel the sensation. So I might feel the cold breeze or I might feel the oppression or I might feel the joy or whatever it is or the warmth or the fear or whatever. I feel those feelings, but right, I don't see the grassy hill with the sun shining on it and the dog running through it. I mean, I do now that I'm saying that to myself, but yeah. 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 It's interesting. That's a good good description because yeah, I feel it. I feel the pain or the happiness, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I wouldn't imagine the scene that takes right. place around the happiness or around the sadness. Right. You know, that's why I, one of my, my first novels, I was trying all these weird things like, here's a book, here's a novel without a setting. Right. <laughs> here's uh. a novel without a world. They're just talking. And, and that's interesting in a moment, but not really interesting as a whole novel. Right. And I think that, that, but that's the way I, I think it's only because that's the way I actually saw it. Right. And so I think when I was trying to do it, it didn't work because most people don't think that way. You know, they want me to paint a beautiful picture about the world, and that's right. just not what I do. So when the director <clears throat> gets hired to to produce your script, to direct your script, um, they are the ones who are deciding that, oh, the room should be blue. and Or, or not even them, the, sta- the, 
No, Ooh. the director would. The director would be okay. the one that kind of leads the thing. But yeah, that's why directors like me because I I'm not in there telling them it has to be this way, right. it has to be that way, or, right. or you're doing it all wrong because I'm like, oh, that's great, <laughs> that looks awesome, go for it. <laughs> have they ever misinterpreted what you like? Have you ever got to the other side of that and went, oh yeah, that doesn't look anything like I was imagining, or is it so not there in your imagination that you're always good with it? Um, I'm always good with it. You know, yeah. you give a script to a hundred people and it's going to come out a hundred different ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it's who am I to tell them that they're doing it wrong? Right. Um, I bet I that's really not just... common though. I bet there are people and not, I mean, not, maybe not common, but I bet there are writers who are very particular. About oh yeah. What, there are, what ends there's up. this whole thing about writers not being on set because the writers are, are sometimes unpleasant about, you know, the, mm-hmm. the changes people are making or, right. The things that they're the way they're they're changing it from the script because they think it's they think like their word is like the Bible or something, right? Um, and they don't really understand kind of where they are. So I mean, I, I've been on, I've been, I, I know directors that never allow writers on on set uh-huh. or let them anywhere near the film until it's done. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that I was I run into that even on one film, one of my films, the director didn't want me on. I begged them to, for me to come on the set for a second, mm-hmm. and then you know they made it really hard for me. I eventually made it on set, but. You know, it's one of those things where it's just. I think. I think most most writers feel like it's. You know, their word is 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 gold, and they can't be right. changed at all. I mean, but you have to not- give up a lot. You have to give up a lot of that because it's not just. It's so many levels. It's the words could change, or the inflection, or the tone that you anticipated could come out differently, or the, <clears throat> or it could end up on the editing room floor, and then it's not even there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the actors a lot of times don't want to say it the way you wrote it, and and it's uh, that's sometimes a little bothersome because I'm like, I put a lot of time and thought into mm-hmm. saying it this way, and then when you change this one word, it changes everything. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I can't. It's not my job to tell the actors how to act, right? Right. And, and so it's not really my place. But yeah, I mean, I've watched movies of mine where people change my lines, and I'm like, oh, like it still bothers me. Uh-huh. But but you know, this is a the film itself is a is a collaborative process. Right. And for, for me to be like, to come in there and say, oh, this is how you have to do it. That's not really, that's not being collaborative. Right. Right. Uh, because conversely, I should also mention that conversely, I've had actors ad lib lines that are way better than anything I wrote. <laughs> and, and I get the credit for that. Right? right. So it goes both ways. Like I've had stuff that people have said things differently and I'm like, ah, that's not the way I would have done it. But also I've had things where people have said things and like way better than I wrote it. And everyone's like, that was an amazing work, amazing pair of dialogue right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's I get credit so cool. for it. So That's so cool though. I mean, and you're right. It's collaborative. If you don't want to collaborate, then write novels. Exactly. Right. Or, or get out of the business because you're probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. <laughs> so if you weren't doing screenwriting, what would you be doing? I'd be really depressed. Well, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I mean, is there like, was there some other career of interest or some other area of interest? You know, I really wanted to be a lawyer when I was in college. Ah. Uh, I had everything going for that. Um, and then I took this class where basically it's like a career class where you had to interview people in the profession that you wanted to go in uh-huh. and um and well, i did and i interviewed all these lawyers that are like i hate it i would never do it if i could not do it again, <laughs> I would it. and i couldn't find a single oh i found one but i couldn't find most of the lawyers i interviewed were like don't do it and they all hated it and wow. that really that really made me think about whether i really wanted to do it or not um but I'd probably do something around nonprofits or law or something mm-hmm. like that. In my classes or in when, even when I was talking to you guys, it starts with love. You got to right. love to write scripts because 
it's not if it's about money, you're going to be severely disappointed. Right. You know, yeah, and and you're you're not going to be willing to outlast everybody else. You know, one of the best advice I ever got in my career was um, by the showrunner of the Bill Cosby Show, mm-hmm. and what he was telling me was at the time I was writing everything. I was writing novels and screenplays and plays and nonfiction and whatever. I was writing poetry and <laughs> I was writing everything. I was trying, you know, and and what he told me was, you know, while you're working on a million different things that are not screenwriting. There's that one dude who's working in his basement every day, every night, writing and writing. He might not be as talented as you, but he's working on it every second of his day. Right. And you're messing around with all these things. And you're getting by because you're talented, right. but you're not, getting, you're not getting better. Right. That's so, good advice. That's really yeah, – so, you have to focus. Yeah. So I became a screenwriter and I stopped writing everything else. And, and, and you enjoy it just as much? And I enjoy it just as much, but I had, you know, that, that included going to set, working at a literary agency that, you know, reading scripts, uh-huh. writing a ton. But I think it's the same thing for any of these kind of lottery jobs is that it has to start with this passion and you have to kind of be hyper-focused on, on that because there's a million people who are trying to do the same thing you are. Right. And, you know, what separates one person and, and even the other story I always tell people is that, uh. You know, one of the most humbling things about going to a writing program was that I realized I wasn't the best writer. Mm-hmm. But what separates me from the other writers was I could talk to people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, a lot of writers right. can't talk to people. I, I could go to a party. I could network. Right. I could I could raise money. I could I, I could be a producer. Uh-huh. You know, and um, and whereas these other people might be technically better writers than me, they they couldn't do any of that. So even though they write, they might be writing better stuff. Their their stuff will never get made. Mm. And that was really kind of a really great humbling but uh, like and a great experience to understand kind of where I am mm-hmm. what I do you know and 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 basically I've outlasted people because I understand that and I understand where I am because I know a lot of writers who are amazing writers never think nothing gets made now they're writing ad copy right you know oh, that's bummer right yeah but that's kind of also like that's just you know that's just part of the being in the business right you know it's outlasting people if you don't have a love for it then what are you doing it for? Right. It's like that for any any field exactly. that you go into, really. Yeah. And but, I, but I think oh, but I think the difference though in 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 this one is that, you know, in like like law, you, there's a certain hoops you have to jump to through, right? Mm-hmm. And by the time you get there, you could just coast for the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a there's already kind of a limited number of people who are coming in. Even if it's a lot, there's a limited number at some right. point, right? Right. Whereas, like anybody, like you could tomorrow be like, I'm going to be an actor, and right. all of a sudden you're an actor, <laughs> you know? Right. So, so there's no kind of like, there, I mean, other than ge- geographical, you have to be in LA ish or New York or right. Toronto or something. But, but you know, it's the the barrier for entry is really really low. So you're competing against those people. Like I always joke that I'm competing against everyone in the English speaking world for scripts. Right. You know, that's the big number of people. Exactly. And I think what's really great about kind of bringing it back around to the experience, the Airbnb experience, was that you did such a great mix of showing this framework of how to write a script, but also laying down some of those truths, which people need to hear. You know, no, uh, this is a time where it's not just saying, yeah, you write a script and it's going to be golden and you'll make a million dollars. This is a time because it's a lot of effort and it. And you have to be willing to take the time and take the hits and all of that. So I loved how you put that, you brought that into that presentation as well. So I appreciated that quite a lot. And, and that's that's reality. I mean, if 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 it was that easy, Disney would have already mastered it 
and every <laughs> Disney movie would be really great, and there would be no there would be no writers like myself. Right. So there would be no bad movies ever. There would <laughs> bad movies are about the writers, though. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Anyway, well, this has been really fun, kind of digging deeper into who you are and what you're doing, and um, because we didn't get to get, we didn't have time for that at the experience. So I really appreciate you taking time to come here and talk with me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I love I love talking about myself, so this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I find that's a pretty common thing. I'm probably that way too. So, um, but let's tell people where they can find you if they want to learn more about your films and um, what you're up to and that sort of thing. What's the best yeah. place? Probably the easiest place would be just go to my website. It's www.koji, Stephen Sakai, K-O-J-I, Stephen with a V in Sakai, S-A-K-A-I. And from there, you can see all my um, all my uh, socials and all that stuff. You'll find out what I'm working on. Awesome. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. So is everyone out there ready to write a screenplay? I know I am. So um, I was thinking, I do have a couple that I really want to write. And... I know that you can't just, you know, step out of your life and write a screenplay and be famous. I get all that. But it sure helped working with him and kind of getting the basics down and understanding the format. So that was step one. Step two is figuring out how to take the story in my head, which involves, let me think here, superhero powers, um, intuition, love story, entanglement, probably some government plots, you know, all those things entangled into one story. How to make that into, what do you say, like 14 beats. We'll see how that goes. And uh, when I have it ready, I'll make sure to tell all of you so you can check it out. All right. Thanks, everyone. And have a great week. So are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.